<laughs> wow. Yeah, it's so good to be here. You know, we, it's true that it's all about Jesus. That's true. But that's not the only truth. It's true that it's all about Jesus, but that's not the only truth. You see, when we make it all about Jesus, he makes it all about us. What do you think Calvary was about? So we make it all about him because that's true, but he makes it all about us because that's true as well. Yeah. Think about that. I mean, he created a universe as staging for your life. The universe is only the stage you know, for your life. I mean, he created a planet and gave it to two people. <laughs> yeah, it's all about you, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jay, I, j- I just met you for the first time here, but um, I, I really hear... The Holy Spirit calling you John the Beloved. I, you know, I know your name's Jay, and I'm not saying you should change your name, but I, I just hear John the Beloved. And, and I don't know if you spend much time in the Gospel of John, but you're gonna, that is going to light your world up. And I, I just saw you. I saw the table of the Lord, and the disciples are gathered around the table of the Lord. It says that all the disciples were reclining at the table except John. Where was John reclining? On the bosom of the Lord. Yeah. And I see you, John, your head leaning on the bosom of the Lord. And, and you're going to hear things the other disciples could never hear. In fact, that happened. That actually happened in that moment. Because um, Jesus talked about someone who would betray them. And, and Peter leans over to Jesus. Yeah, and, and Peter leans over uh, to, uh, to John and says, tell us who he's talking about. So John leans back and asks Jesus. It doesn't say Jesus whispered. It doesn't say he whispered in John's ear. He spoke clearly and said, the one to whom I give the morsel. And But see, the thing is, nobody, it says, reclining at the table, knew for what reason he had said that to, to Judas. But see, they didn't hear it because they were only hanging around the table of ministry. But there are only things we hear when we put our head against the bosom. And hear the, what do you, when you put your head against the bosom, what do you hear? You hear the heartbeat. And what's the heartbeat doing? It's moving life through the body. And you are going to hear that. And I just hear intimacy um, for you, that intimacy, drawing in. And see, John, what's interesting about John is he was the youngest disciple, which in some ways seemed against sort of cultural protocol. You know, to be able to be the youngest and get that close because he just dared to trust. He dared to believe. He said, man, I don't care if I'm the youngest or not. I'm going to get as close to that heart, as close to that life as I can be. And I just hear that for you. I really do. I hear the Holy Spirit. I hear Jesus calling you John, my beloved. And he just wants you to just lay that head against his heart and, and, and watch the things that he begins to speak to your life. And out of that enemy, so life is going to flow to so many other people. And you're going to find yourself just wanting to go and put your head against that bosom and just absolutely be absorbed and consumed by that intimacy with him. And that's his heart for you. And I, I encourage you to spend, he's going to light up the book of John. He's going to light up John to you. It's going to become rhema and revelation. It really is. So I encourage you in that. Yeah. And, and Shane, I met you for the first time as well. I was just introduced to you when we came in. And, um, you know, what I heard is this. I heard that um, there's been a lot of waste, but nothing wasted. Yeah. God says there's been a lot of waste, but he says there's nothing wasted. I hear that. And, 
And what I hear is that, you know, often we hear things like God is the restorer of, you know, finances and God is the restorer of, of, of family. But yet I hear God saying, I'm the restorer of years. He's going to restore the years uh, to your life. He's restoring the years uh, to you. And I hear, I hear him saying, you are a father. You are a father. You are called as a father, and everything that seems to be a waste will not be wasted because of your heart connecting with him. You're learning that your redeemer lives, and you are you're, you have the heart of a father. And even though there have been waste places that have seemed to displace or seem to uh, 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 be an impediment to that, you are a he calls you his father. And he is going to restore the years, and you're going to be a father naturally like you never imagined you could be. And you're going to be a father spiritually to many others. And I see out of that father's heart incredible wisdom. In fact, people are going to be attracted to you because of that father's heart. And the grace of God to give wisdom and understanding and insight. And the generations that are going to be drawn around you because nothing has been wasted. Father, we thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. 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 And if it's more than one person, that's fine. But um, I hear in the upper GI tract, okay? Now, if you've got a lower GI tract issue, we'll pray for you, okay? But specifically, the upper GI tract, um, whether it's a hiatus hernia, uh, acid reflux, but I hear some real problems, some burning discomfort that you get in that area um, and whatnot. A lot of this is stress-related. It really is pressure and whatnot, but it's manifested in that area of your life. And if you're battling with that, if you've got a problem, either that acid reflux, hiatus hernia, which is a ter- Oh, where we go? Stand up. Come on up. If that's you, stand up. Yeah, okay. There's a few of us. Let's just pray for Yeah, go ahead. Come on up. And I want to get some of some other people to come up and lay some hands on them right now. Now, I want to make sure who we're praying. Who's, who's coming up to get prayer? Be in the front line. Whoever's coming up for prayer, get in the front line. Okay? We want, to, we want to know the difference. Okay? Who's getting... Okay. Just the ones in the front line are getting prayed. Now, the rest of you, let's get around them. Are you praying or getting prayer? Okay, you're praying. Let's lay hands on them right now. You're going to have immediate breakthrough, immediate relief right now in the name of Jesus. Right now, in that upper GI tract, we see the anointing oils flowing now in Jesus' name. The acid reflux, the hiatus hernia, hernia. in the name of Jesus, all that pain, all that discomfort, uh, all that heartburn that is a constant with diet. And in Jesus' name, we speak release, healing in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Holy Ghost healing, healing virtue now. The oils of heaven flooding that region of their bodies in Jesus' name. All that pain gone. All of it gone. Right now, we speak to the esophagus. We speak to the valves to be restored, to be healed right now. The scar tissue be removed from all the burning from the acid in the stomach. In Jesus' name, scarring be removed. Valves function perfectly now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, be healed. Be restored right now. Healed and restored. Healing oil. Healing oil. Healing oil. Healing virtue. Right now, all pain go. All that discomfort go. Right now, all of it go. All of it go. All of it go. Restored. Restored. Restored.
restored, restored. <sighs> yeah. Now, just ask him if you're praying for him, ask him to take a breath. See, if, if you did have pain, just tell me, is that gone? If you did have the discomfort, just check. See if you can feel that. Feel that difference. Just take a breathe in. Just breathe in right now. All that gone. All that go right now. All of it in Jesus' name. Open your eyes. I want you to check that out. I want you to see what God has done there. Take a breath. Shh. How many notice that something changed right now? How many notice? How many can tell me you've noticed that you can notice a change? Uh-huh. You, you can? Yeah. How many had pain and that pain is gone? Raise your hand. Uh, that had the pain and the pain. You didn't have it. That's okay. Gone. Yeah. All right. Whoa. Okay. Shh. Shh. All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. Yay. Yeah. No more. No more. No more. No more. No more. Yeah. Let's give the Lord a praise. Can we do that? Yeah. 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 And you know, whenever you hear, whenever you hear about getting wrecked, understand that when God wrecks you, he fixes you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good to get wrecked. Yeah. God wrecked me all you want because his version of wreck is the fix. Uh, It really is. Anyway, I, I, I see there is a clock. We are on a timetable. This is in Africa where you can go for eight hours, and that's just the introduction. Um, you know, it's true. I mean, it's, you know. So I know we're not in Africa, but so I will. We could, yes, yes, we could be. In fact, why aren't you? When are you coming back? Yes. He's been with us many times. And, uh, and you're all invited. You're all invited. And by the way, I... I uh, we lived in Johannesburg for about 20 years. Now our base is in Cape Town. And, of course, it's been voted in several different magazines and periodicals as the most beautiful city in the world. And uh, so if you want to see the most beautiful city in the world that's having revival, come to Cape Town. Yeah. yeah she's, not only, she's not only beautiful, but she's on fire, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, it's called the Mother City, and she's a babe. She's a babe. Absolutely. And she's on fire. She really is. So, anyway... So everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. <laughs> okay, if you, have a, if you have your Bibles, whether it's paper, whether it's your PDA, whether it's an iPhone, iPad, or you just have it all memorized, okay? For those that have memorized the Bible, then just flip over in your mind to Mark. Uh, Mark, Mark chapter 4. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I, I mean, there were so many different things. I mean, I, my, my primary passion, I believe my primary purpose, and I know this sounds pretty general, but, but I really do believe my primary person is to turn heavenly reality into earthly actuality. You know, that we live in this place from another place. Uh, we're, we're, it's not where we're, we're already there. Our spirit man, we've been seated in the heavenly places in Christ it's not something that's going to happen, something when you got born again, that is in your citizenship. That is your primary territory and turf. You are a spirit with a soul in a body. And your spirit man is seated in the heavenly places in Christ. And the Holy Spirit's primary purpose is to materialize that reality from your spirit through your soul and out your body. And, that's, and, and Jesus gets all the glory. It's to reveal everything that he is, everything that he has through all that you are. Yeah, you are Jesus' earth suit. 
Each one of you is God in another outfit. And together we make his wonderful, magnificent wardrobe. That's a fact. You are not just a tool in God's hand. You are his hand. We're called the body of Christ, not his lawnmower. Come on. You are not a tool in his hand. You are his hand. You are not just who, what God uses in the earth. You are who God is in the earth. You've got to understand that. You're the body of Christ. You're the apex of his creation. You've been created in his image. And, and like I said, my primary passion is through revelation and through activation to, to catalyze that, to release that so we can demonstrate it and not just be frustrated by talking about it all the time. I think Christians can be the most frustrated people on the planet. They're some of the most discouraged people on the planet. Can I tell you why they shouldn't be? But the reason why they are is because uh, discouragement is proportional to the distance between expectations and reality. And there's nobody that has greater expectations for good than us. When you get a relationship with Jesus, man, I mean, you look into Calvary, you look in the empty tomb, and your expectation level just accelerates. But when you don't have the reality, the confirmation, the demonstration, there's a whole lot. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of Christians have never gone beyond just the concepts and the theology and the hope for heaven. And so the job description of, of the Holy Spirit and the job description of our relationship is to activate that. So whatever I share is always with, it, with that in mind. In Mark chapter 4, I'm, I'm, I would, if you want to give a title to this, you can call this the, the anatomy of a miracle or the atmosphere of the miraculous. Now, it's going to be a little bit different than what you might expect, but it's going to be good. In Mark chapter 4, here's a story that we're so familiar with. And it says in verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. And there was a, a, arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat. So the boat was already filling up. And he, and he, this is Jesus himself, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're dying? We're perishing out here. Being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said, Whoa, who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now we notice, how many agree, we notice a pretty big miracle there, right? We notice this a miracle. He stills the storm. He stops. He stands up. He speaks. The storm stops. I mean, that, that's a pretty significant miracle. We, we, we see that. How many have ever, ever seen that before? You know, I mean, I have. I, in fact, did anybody see someone posted on Facebook about the middle of last year? There was a, I don't know if it was in the Philippines or, I cannot remember where it was, but there was a tornado coming towards a church. You could see it. And, 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 and they were standing up rebuking the tornado. Did anybody see that? Remember that? Wasn't that awesome? That was so cool. Literally, you could see the tornado coming right towards them. And that, those church members were standing up rebuking that thing, and it completely dissipated. How many have ever seen, have had the opportunity to exercise your faith over the elements? You, this okay. That, that's pretty cool. That really, and so we see that happening. Um, but what's interesting 
about this miracle is that Jesus simply sped up a natural process. Because, you know, storms do stop. By themselves, rain does cease. Seas do calm, right? We, we, we understand that. And, but, but we know, why do we notice it as a miracle? Why do we call it a miracle? Is it because it happened quick? It happened suddenly. Right? The reason why we call it a miracle is because it happened suddenly. Now, I remember years ago when I first became a Christian in the 1970s on a university campus in, uh, in Tennessee, uh, University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Um, and uh, I, was a rest- I was on a wrestling scholarship and before I was born again. And, and I'd just gotten saved, radically saved, and uh, was staying in an athletic dorm. They don't have them anymore, but there was a, before the NCAA changed the rules, you know, the athletes uh, would have special treatment. You know, we'd get our own reses and our own cafeterias and whatnot, and that's changed. So we had our own, our own dormitory. Um, yeah, we, we call them reses in South Africa, dormitory, sorry. Probably, what, what's a res, a reservation? Yes. Um, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I remember, and we, myself, and a, we had a revival on the wrestling team. And quite a few of us got born again, and I've been saved for probably about a week or two. And we had an elderly woman named Margaret uh, who would come, and it was one of the cleaning ladies. Uh, and she was the cleaner for our floor. And I remember coming, her coming out of the floor, and when we were walking by her, myself and Neil Ross and, and, and Paul Schneller, a couple of my other buddies that had just got radically saved, were walking by her, and we greeted her. And when she greeted us, she was talking like she could, you know, she could hardly get any words out. She said, hello, and we stopped, and she was so sick. She had no voice, totally congested. She was in bad shape. She could barely talk like this. And so we just, we knew she was a good, you know, we knew she was a Christian ever before we were. And so we said, well, can we pray for you, Margaret? She said yes. And I, and I promise you, I'm not, I'm not embellishing to try to make the point. In literally less than 10 seconds, she was instantly healed. Her voice completely cleared up. Her head, and, and then she went downstairs to the rest of the maids and began to say, hey, man, we got some boys upstairs that can pray for you if you got anything wrong with you. But she got, she, she was healed in 10, less than 10 seconds. I mean, I was more blown away than she was, you know, just getting, this stuff works, you know. And now, 10 seconds she got healed. Now, what if, she, what if it had been 10 minutes? Would it have still been a miracle? Yes. Yeah. Because of the condition she was in. What if it had been 10 hours? Well, maybe. Because it was so severe, you might, okay, 10 hours, as bad as she was, you know, naturally it takes a bit longer for your body to recover from something that severe. What if it had been 10 days? And the answer is no. We wouldn't have called it a miracle in 10 days because we understand there is a natural process. Our bodies recover. Immune system um, um, kicks in. And um, what's interesting is this. Something happening suddenly is some of the evidence of a miracle, but that's not what makes it a miracle. I want you to follow this. Something happening quicker or suddenly is some of the evidence of the miracle or the miraculous, but that's not what makes it a miracle. See, a miracle, it's a miracle because of divine intervention. You can look up the, you can look up the, uh, later the definition, but that's a fact. 
A miracle is by definition divine intervention into the normal course of things. It's when the supernatural invades, influences, and impacts this natural world. That's the miraculous. You understand? You all kind of agree. I hope you agree with me because that's true. <laughs> Whether you agree or not, it's still true. Um, and, uh, but, that's, but that's what makes it a miracle. It's because there is this divine, the supernatural, out of the ordinary intervention into the ordinary that does some cool stuff. Right? That's the miraculous. That's the miracle now. Now for the part we don't see. Did you know that there's really a much bigger miracle in this story than the storm stopping? Most people have never seen it, but there's a much, much, much bigger miracle in this than just the seas calming and the rain stopping. Let's, let's think of it like this. It says, and we can see this in the story as we've read it, it tells us that Jesus, follow me, Jesus was asleep on a cushion where? In the stern of the boat. Right? That's what it says. He was asleep on a cushion in the stern. Do you think he was faking sleep? No, it says he was asleep. If the Bible says he was asleep on a cushion in the stern, in the stern he was. Now think about this. It says in verse, it, it says in verse 37, okay, it tells us, um, as we back up, uh, that the, that the, 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 the water was flowing, the, the waves were breaking over the side of the boat, and the boat was filling up with water. Now, considering the fact that the stern is the lowest part of the boat that typically fills up first, do you think water flowing over you would wake you up? Do you think water pouring over you would? Of course it would. They had to wake him up. Why? Because there was no storm in his side of the boat. His side wasn't going down. It wasn't. I mean, in fact, he said, let us go over to the other side. And that was still the atmosphere on his side of the boat. He said, we're going over to the other side. And what he said had the final say where he was. But they didn't realize their side's going down. They don't realize that, wait a minute, Jesus is dry. He's chilling out. It must be okay because if he doesn't go down, we're not going down because we're in the same boat. The real, the big miracle was that his side was not filling up. His side of the boat was not going down. And often, and the point I want to make with this is, see, the real problem we have isn't no miracles. The real problem is not noticing. There is no such thing as no miracles. But there's a lot of not noticing. Yeah. There's no lack of the miraculous. There's no lack of signs and wonders. There's no lack of the supernatural. But there's a lack of being able to pay attention, to be able to notice. And we see that here. And now, why didn't they notice? Now, I like to, I like to kind of, I, I like to kind of put, uh, kind of look at other stories and other examples that just help us kind of catch that this is sort of a common malady. This is a common problem. I call it Jacobitis. Remember in Genesis 28 when uh, Jacob has this incredible supernatural experience 
And he wakes up and says, wow, God is in this place and I did not know it. Yeah. And we, we all are afflicted with various degrees of that. God is in this place. God is in this person. God is in this moment. God is in this workplace. And I just did not know it. Now, why didn't they notice? Why didn't they notice? Well, there's, there's, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. Two primary reasons. Number one, the first reason why they didn't notice is because of an amplified problem. You know, magnified mess. You know, the problem was so amplified in their minds. Our enemy does not have an almighty arsenal, but he has a massive amplifier. Yeah. He's not the best band, but he's got the biggest amplifier. You know, absolutely. He does not have this massive um, eternal arsenal of weaponry, but he has an amplifier. And he is the master at making lack louder than life. You know, where a problem takes on ridiculous proportions. I mean, it really does. Our problems, our issues, our mistakes, our weaknesses are amplified to the place of ridiculousness. I mean, I mean, children are are really good at modeling this. Um, (laughs) They really are. You know, have you ever had your, I had one of my sons come to me. And Connie is one of the most amazing mothers on the planet. In fact, any mother is the most amazing person on the planet. You know, absolutely. I mean, I absolutely, I mean, I'm close to worship. I mean, you know, I mean, seriously, what mothers go through for them to exist, you know, you know. And I remember one of my, I got three sons and a daughter. They're all older now, but I remember when they were little. Boy, did they get ridiculous, you know. And I remember one day one of my sons really got mad and came and said, Mom's not a good mom. And he was just all mad and angry. And mom, you know, because she forgot to do something or couldn't do something or didn't do something that she shouldn't do for him. But he was all upset and just kind of really, you know, just had this attitude. She's a bad mom. And I looked at him and I said, do you have any idea what it cost her for you to be alive? You know, she's only one of two people on the planet that will take on a charging grizzly bear for you. You know, I mean, you don't get it, kid. You know, hello. You know, you know. <laughs> I mean, I am. Um, I, and I know I've shared this testimony here before, but I know there's a lot of people, so it's, it's, it's one of my favorite in, in making this point. I was in Johannesburg. We'd, we'd always be praying for people after service, and because the laying out of hands, we believe in that, and, and, and the word being confirmed, that signs that follow, and praying for healing and deliverance and whatever. And I remember a man coming up to get prayed for, and he'd had a head cold. He had a head cold. And uh, I remember right before I prayed, the way he said, you know, the way he shared his need, I could tell. It's like there was like an attitude there. It's like, and I found out he was mad at God. He was mad at God because they had to give. God loves me. How come I'm sick? I mean, he had a head cold. A head cold. You know? And so he's kind of mad at God because he's got a head cold. Now, I said to him, I, you know, my dad was a doctor. He's passed away. He's in heaven now. But my dad was a doctor. So I know a lot about medicine. I said, dude, do you have any idea how many sicknesses there are out there? A clue. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon more thousands, and they discover dozens every day. You know, I mean, and, and, and you have one head cold, and somehow God doesn't love you. Do you know you have an enemy that would like to put those thousands of things on you every day, and all they can squeeze through as a head cold, and you're going to be mad at God? I think God's doing pretty good. 
How many have ever, you know, you, you're driving along, you get that horrible flat tire, which we don't get much anymore because of the, the way tires are made. But how many remember getting a flat tire? And, and can you kind of imagine yourself kind of in its, you know, it's in the rain or you're heading to your daughter's wedding or something really putting pressure on you, you know, and, and all of a sudden you're like mad at God. Oh, God, where are you? Do you have any idea how many calamities are out there? Do you know how much disaster the enemy has in his arsenal? And the best thing he can do is puncture your tire. It's just, you know what I mean? I, I had, um, uh, well, uh, one of my, uh, a dear friend of mine who pastors the largest church in South Africa, the Rhema Church. His name is Ray McCauley. And um, he shared this with me. I wasn't there for it, but he told me about it. He had a business friend from his church. Was, uh, had, had really gone through a horrific time. And, uh, and so he's in the office with Ray. And he's just, he's really broken. I mean, he, he, his life, wife left him. I mean, he lost everything. All of his, his, everything. He lost literally everything, business, finance, I think even the dog. I mean, it was all gone. I mean, he's literally just broken. He's just sharing. He's pouring out his heart. And he said, Pastor Ray, Pastor Ray, all I have left is God. And so... So when Ray, so so Ray lifts up his chin and says, and the problem is, you know, now he's not trying to be insensitive, but if you're going to put it, we want to comfort you in your affliction. But when you bring it into the God context, you know, now it's time to kind of wait a minute, hold it, wait, you know what I'm saying? Get some perspective here. You know, we're not trying to be insensitive, but we just get ridiculous when you're looking in the face of God and His goodness and His grace and His provision. There's no problem. There's no situation that comes close to obscuring His awesomeness. How many remember? Oh, it's fine. How are we doing for time? I just looked at the clock. Are we okay? Um, I, um, um, I was... Okay, thank you. Yes. You're in charge this morning. Okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You are the father. Um, I was, I was lifting. I used to lift a lot of weights and train. I was a college wrestler and football player, and I, and and, and I used to do a lot of weights. And I was in a, in the gym in South Africa. A friend of mine's gym, who was a world strong man and world powerlifting champion, and I was I was in his gym. His name's Mark Robinson. Do you remember Mark Robinson? Anyway, so so I was at his gym and I was doing pull downs. You know the pull down machine, the old ones where you sit in the seat. They still have them, the universal um, uh, uh, machines. And I had, I had literally about uh, the whole stack, and then I put another pin in. It was actually in kilograms, but I'll say in pounds. And I put another pin in so I could put another plate on. So I had about 270 pounds of steel on that. And so I was doing pull-downs with it. Little did I know that they had just replaced the cable. They had replaced the cable. They put a brand new cable in. But the old machines, the cables, you had to strip off the plastic uh, sheath. In order so that when you connected the bracket to the cable, it would be metal on metal. But whoever put the new cable in forgot to take off the, the, the rubber plastic sheath, which means it wasn't tight into the metal, which means it decided to slip on one of my reps. And I'm pulling down, and as soon as I do, it slips. The bar hits me in the head, and my foot goes under the stack of weights. And, and 270 pounds of steel, I mean, smash into the top of my foot. And trust me, it hurt. 
I mean, you know, somebody, you know, sometimes you think, well, something happened so quick, you probably didn't notice it right away. I noticed. And uh, in fact, in fact, it hurt so bad. It hurt so bad. I didn't notice that I'd cut my head open with the bar that slammed into my forehead. So here I'm stuck. Now, I had an L.A. gear tennis shoe on. Now, that part of my foot is this, this, this thick is the part of your shoe. It was it was crushed. It was like this. It was like a pancake. He was so. I had a friend of mine, and 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 trying to wedge it up, get under it, and pull me out. Now my dad was a podiatrist, a foot doctor, so I know a lot about feet, and I knew that was not the place. In fact, my dad said to me later, it would have been better if it fell on your head, you know, because <laughs> you can have a crippling limp for the rest of your life if it's broken too badly or crushed. So when he's pulling me out, I'm saying, pray it's not broke. Pray it's not broke. But it was bad. I mean, the whole bottom of my foot was just opened up like a watermelon that you drop on the floor. I just want you to feel my moment with me. Okay. And, uh, but it was bad. The pressure was bad. Anyway, I go to the hospital and I'm praying. Pray it's not broke. Pray it's not broke. Let's pray it's not broke. Speak to those bones. And so they take me to the hospital. And I mean, I was a, it was a bloody mess. And it was excruciating. I've got highly, my, my feet are so sensitive. If you tickle me, it's, it, it, it hurts me. I, if you, no, really. I've got a highly developed nervous system. When I get Novocaine, they got to give me five shots. They do. And my feet are so tender. And, and, and they were sewing my foot up. The problem is, is they'd put in the anesthetic, but because of the bleeding, it would run out. You know, so, I, oh, it was miserable. So, ah, you know. But anyway, they came back. They came back, and there was no break. No, wait, I'm, I'm not, that's, that's. That's not the punchline, but it's a good point. There was no break. It was a miracle. There was no break in that bone of any kind. But it was mucked up, buddy. I mean, it was like, it was like chopped beef, man. I mean, it was. And so I couldn't put a shoe on. I couldn't put a shoe on for a couple of months. Uh, and in fact, I would be preaching in our service, you know, and I have it wrapped up and, 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 you know, I just have it wrapped and have maybe like a, a half a slipper that wraps around it. But I was so excited. I was. I was so happy. I was so blessed. I was sharing, man, man, there's no break in my foot. Praise God, my foot wasn't broken. And someone said to me, well, what if it had been broke? And I said, well, then I still have my foot. Praise God, I still have my foot. I got my foot. And then they said, well, what, what if it was crushed so bad they had to take off your foot? I said, well, I still got my leg, baby. I got, you know, you know I can do the stump, man. You know, I've got, I got my leg. And then... And then they said, well, what if you got a real bad infection, you know, and they had to take off the leg? And, well, then I can still hug my wife and love my kids. And then they said, well, what if it, you would have got septicemia so bad you would have died? And then I said, well, then I go to heaven. I'm with Jesus and I get a new body. The point is you can never outrun the goodness of God. No matter what happens, how bad it gets, how challenging it is, you never outrun God's goodness. Ever. Ever. But we don't notice because the enemy is the big amplifier. He's the big amplifier. So we don't notice, number one, because of an amplified problem. And we don't notice as well because of that which is common and ordinary. What was Jesus doing? That's about as common as it gets. It's pretty ordinary. Isn't that right? There's few things more constant. You've got to do it at least five to eight, ten hours a day, right? You do that a whole lot. Very common. Something being common or being a constant can blind us to the fact that it's special. Think about it. You think sleep is common until you haven't had it for a few days. Ah, ah, yeah. It ain't common anymore, baby. Sleep is so important. You know, air is pretty common. 
Oxygen's pretty common, but let me strangle you for about 30 seconds. And you'll see how special it is. Water is very common. Water is a constant, but when you don't have it, you recognize how important, how valuable it is. This is kind of the dark side of familiarity. See, I, I think we're supposed to be familiar. In fact, familiar is, is a derivative from family or familial. We're supposed to be familiar. But the dark side of the familiar or, being, or familiarity is when we lose sight of the uniqueness and that which is special because it becomes a constant. You know, when you know someone so well or, you're, or, or they're such a constant in your life, you take it for granted. They're, you know what I'm saying? You only see them. They're only through that, that limited lens and you lose sight of how unique and amazing and special um, they really are. You see, they noticed a miracle because it happened suddenly, but they missed the miraculous as a state. As, you know what I'm saying? As, it's not just a, as, 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 um, as a constant, as an environment, as an atmosphere. That's the difference between, um, between having a, a kind of a miraculous moment or a miracle moment and a miraculous mindset. There's a very big difference here. Albert Einstein said this. He said there are only two ways to live our lives. One is though nothing is a miracle. The other is though everything is a miracle. Yeah, because everything is. Everything is. And please, I'm not saying that is hyperbole. Because I know some people diminish the miraculous by using hyperbole. It was a miracle I got that A. I'm not talking about that. You know what I'm saying? Some people use that as just metaphorical. I'm not using it metaphorical. How much of the miraculous is really going on? How much of the supernatural is a constant, the value, the glory of his nature that is so, so available in every place we find ourselves? See, Jesus didn't just do miracles. He was a miracle. Did you know that? You know why he could do miracles? Because he was a miracle. It's the law of Genesis, the law of reciprocity. We reproduce what we are, our very nature. It's a whole lot easier to live miracles when you realize you are one. One of life's greatest ironies, one of life's greatest ironies is someone who doesn't believe in the miraculous while being one. Someone that does not believe in miracles while being one. You know, we live on a miracle every day. And we do. This, this, see, because it's this constant that we're so close to, we don't realize how much of a miracle it is. We live, think about it. We literally are in the midst of this complex, I mean, amazing life, spinning in space where there is none. <laughs> yeah. We are this complex, amazing life and creativity and abundance spinning in a space where there is none. Hugh Ross, Dr. Hugh Ross, did a complex mathematical computation. He took 123 parameters that would be necessary for life to exist on this planet or any planet. He took 123, and he calculated the probability of that happening without divine intervention. In fact, there are more. They're actually more like 170 or 180, but he took just 123, 123 parameters that must be here for life to exist as we know it on this planet. And the probability of that happening without divine intervention is 1 to 10 and 3 to 360th power. That... that that, that's a lot. That, just to give you an idea how much that is, 
in the known universe, there are only about 10 to the 80th power atoms. You know the little critters? You know, that everything kind of builds atoms. You know atoms, right? I don't, you know, those little things. You can't even see them, you know. There's only 10 to the 80th power atoms in the known universe. And the probability of our life without supernatural intervention. And not only that, but the primary occupant of this planet, you, is even more of a miracle. Look it up later. I know some people kind of Google while the guy's preaching. Don't do it. Trust me. Look it later. But look up Dr. Ali Benazar's study. Dr. Ali Benazar, I mean it, no Googling, just look up. <laughs> Dr. Ali Benazar, he looked at, he took a look at everything that would have to happen for the one and only you to exist. That's right, you Jason. In order for Jason to exist... The one, and there's, there's nobody else like you. You're the one and only Jason. And for you to exist, he looked at um, everything that would have to happen um, so that you could exist. And he showed mathematically the chance of you existing is non-existent. In fact, I'm not. In fact, the probability is of you existing without divine intervention is is comparable. To two and a half million people all having one dice with a trillion sides. And two and a half million people have a dice with a trillion sides and they all throw it at the same time and it comes up the same number. Never, ever, 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 I don't care how much time you give to creation, it will never happen. You can give a gazillion years and it's never going to happen. Your life, this planet... Everything about, we are not just, you know, often we think we are natural life pursuing a supernatural experience. We are supernatural life being realized through finite matter. You are supernatural life being realized through natural matter. And that's why the enemy is always trying to keep us at the surface. Because we live from our spirit. We're aware that in our spirit man and our internal world shapes and creates and brings forth what God has decided for us. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we no longer recognize any man according to the flesh. Yeah, because the love of Christ controls us. See, the love of Christ takes us out of our myopic you know, small-mindedness, we define you by your race, your culture, you know, your economic status, your educational prowess, your physical, you know, your good strengths, your, your good, your bad. You know what I'm saying? We no longer, no ever, because of the love of Christ, because we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ, we no longer recognize anyone according to the flesh. We finally see what, what, what the enemy sees. We finally see, it says it's beautiful from elevation. It's beautiful from elevation. We finally see, when I'm with Rifle and Tiffany, I'm with two miracles. I mean, really, I, that's why we should always have a sense of awe and wonder. That's what childlike faith is like. You know, children always have a sense of wonder and awe and, and because everything is so amazing. Well, it still is. Well, it still is. You know, it still is. Absolutely. You know, the... This is why, and I, I'm, I'm wrapping up, I promise. 
This is why I go after that Gnostic dualism, that dualism. It kind of compartmentalizes. In other words, kind of the more of God here. You know, there's kind of more of God into, you know, in this service on Sunday than the workshop on Monday. You know what I'm saying? There's more of God, you know, in the mission field than the sports field. There's more of God in intercession than innovation. You know, there's more of God in the prayer room than the boardroom. It's crazy. There's no lesser version. God has no, if he shows up, he fully shows up. He never shows up in part. He filled everything and he's never withdrawn, ever. And one of the reasons, in, in, in tandem with this, one of the reasons why we don't notice what the Holy Spirit's doing with us and through us is because he uses things that are natural to us. Yeah, our thoughts. Often we just think it's a random thought. I mean, some of the most significant signs and wonders and miracles which just started as a thought. I didn't have an angelic visitation. That would be nice, but it was just a thought and you act upon it in faith and watch God show up. I mean, I had a thought about this. That was it. It was a thought. When I gave you a word, it was just a thought. And I met it with my faith and God gave, breathed life onto it. That's how that works. It might just be a random conversation. It might be a sensation. Sometimes I get a sensation. I, I start feeling pain. And I'm, instead of saying, oh, devil, what are you putting on me? I go, wait a minute, I'm fine. What are you saying, Holy Spirit? What am I missing? And often, often God has, is going to touch somebody through my awareness of him speaking to me through my senses. And that's for all of us. It's not a gift. It's the way you've been created, the way you've been designed. The language of the Spirit can be in a, a thought, a conversation. Just a, I was at a hair, I was at someone having cutting my hair, a lady cutting my hair. Now I've had my hair cut like a lot of times and I've never had anybody give me a download of all their physical problems. I mean, this lady started from head to toe. She was describing, man, she had, uh, she had a collapsed septum. Uh, you know, deviated collapsed septum. She was going to have to go in for surgery. To, and she, she's kind of describing how they're going to open up her face. And I'm going, ooh, that doesn't sound fun. And she talked about her shoulder, you know, when she was uh, skiing and how it got tore up in her hip and down to her ankle. And I'm thinking, this is the language of the spirit. You know what I'm saying? Why would this lady tell me this stuff? You know, I happen to know the great physician, you know. So, so I said, you know, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? And God healed her of everything, of everything. But all it was was just paying attention Holy Spirit, this is what He does for our lives. He does that for all of us. He really does. All we have to do, and somebody said to me once, they said, well, Bill, what if I'm wrong? Faith is never wrong. See, the faith is never wrong. You see, you've got to realize, the quality of your faith is not determined by the immediate outcome, but by the nature of the one whom you trust. Heaven always supports faith regardless of the immediate outcome. So even if, and you're right, sometimes you got it in the sense of the immediate outcome. But faith itself, whenever you're trusting God, no matter what it is, it's not wrong. That's part of the process, learning to crawl, then walk, and then run. I encourage you, and that's what I see in this season, Pastor, like never before. That's what God is doing like never before. It's more of Him through all of us. It's more of him. And that's why I say there's two things that are so critical. Number one, the centrality of his presence. And number two, the normality of risk. Yeah, the normality of risk. You've got to be willing to take that step. In other words, man, I'm doing this. See, childlike faith. What's childlike faith? Childlike faith. Basically, a child has no experience, no gifts, no history to trust. They can only trust in the benevolence of the one who loves them. That's it. 
we're not trusting, you know, our experience and our gifts and have we done it before. Even when you get experience, you don't want to trust that. We're trusting Jesus. We're trusting his nature. We're trusting his heart. And that you don't get that when that doesn't happen when you get spiritual. Sure, that happens when you get Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your sons and your daughters and your Holy Spirit of revelation in this place. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters, the mothers and fathers, the sons and daughters in this house. We are family. We're your family. We are not lucky mud. We didn't claw our way out of the primordial soup. We are the apex of your creation. And, Father, we're going to choose like that. We're going to act like that. We're going to live like that. We're going to get out of the boat, Father, and, and, and release more of that glory, more of that miracle life and power everywhere to save, deliver, heal, and transform hearts and lives Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray that revelation become activated in this house and through their lives like never before. We'd never be satisfied. Arrest us out of complacency. Arrest us out of just the comfort zones of just getting by and feeling secure and natural things. Arrest us as your sons and daughters, as your emissaries, as your ambassadors for the goodness of Jesus everywhere. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Fill us afresh. Yeah, Father, let that word become life. Breathe on that word. Breath of heaven. Breath of heaven. And let it pour out everywhere. 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 everywhere. Yeah. Yeah.